The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. More than 40% of people in their 40s and 50s have both an aging parent and a child under the age of 21. Caring for people in multiple generations demands time, love, attention, and more. Welcome to Caught Between Generations with your host, Dr. Merrill Griff. Our program will bring you the information you need as a family caregiver for everyone for whom you care. With guest experts and resources to help you keep sane and organized. Now, here is Dr. Meryl Griff. Welcome to Caught Between Generations. You know, taking care of others can be very, very stressful. And often we need the support of others. We need to feel appreciated. We want someone else to affirm that we're doing a good job or at least have some recognition that we're trying. However, you know, sometimes for no apparent reason, the person that we look to for some level of support seems to be at odds with us. This could be a spouse, a sibling, or some other family member. We suddenly find ourselves feeling angry and frustrated and not being able to figure out just why the last conversation that we had with this person just took a nosedive and ended up in anger and resentment. Dr. Robert Humphreys is a licensed psychologist whose work has included children, adolescents, families, and adults. Dr. Humphreys is one of the three founders of VISTA Psychological and Counseling Centers in North Canton, Ohio. In addition to his clinical practice responsibility, he accepted a full-time appointment at Walsh University, being promoted to associate professor in 2005. He has been the recipient of numerous awards, including Outstanding Educator in 2002 and an Outstanding Teacher Award from the faculty for the 2007-2008 academic year. He was featured as one of Stark County's top docs in the October 2015 About magazine. Bob is married and has two children. The other interesting thing about Dr. Humphreys is that Bob and I used to work together at a community mental health agency that cared for children and their families. Dr. Bob is my go-to psychologist as I refer many families to him for treatment. And why do I do that? Because he's very, very good at what he does, and I can trust him to take very good care of the families that I refer to him. Welcome, Dr. Humphreys. Wow, you certainly made me feel welcome. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you. So let's start out with the differences between men and women and how they communicate their emotions. So how do men usually express emotion? Normally, when we're looking at um, the rules that allow us to display our feelings as men, we're going to find that they're going to express feelings of boredom, and virtually everything else translates into anger. Uh, I only get boredom and anger? That's, a, well, that's uh, what I can we, get. We, we can t- <laughs> it, 
Do you want the PG-13 version? Well, we could also talk about horny, but uh, I, I'm not sure that that would be the most appropriate thing to That's say. That's for another show, Bob. <laughs> um, and, and we don't want to reduce them t- too much, but when we think about this, men will have a range of emotions uh, very much similar to their female counterparts. But the cultural display rules restrict what we're allowed to show. Um, we have to do the emotional work of being stoic and not and, and, and uh, not showing how we feel. That seems to be the basic uh, emotional work of North American men, at least from what we understand. So, Bob, I have a question then. Do, do, do men feel other emotions and then they just refuse to express them? Is that what happens? Or do they get to a point where they actually don't feel those other emotions? Well, it, it, it depends very much on the person. But I would, what I would tell you is, is that I think we experience all of the same range of emotions as our female counterparts do. But the difference would be um, that we probably feel them at a physical level more intensely. If there was a loud noise here uh, uh, right now that startled both of us, what we would find is if you took a look at the changes in my blood pressure, the changes in my heart rate and my respiration, it would go up more quickly with greater intensity to that startle than it would for you as a female. And so what we find is that at a very core physiological level, men's feelings tend to be create more autonomic reactivity. We, we get that surge much more quickly. It's interesting. So how do women then usually express emotion? They've, given, they've been given a very, very broad range uh, in terms of the cultural display rules that just allow them to show many, many, many more feelings than, than men can. Um, we know that uh, they don't experience them with the same physical intensity as their male counterparts. Um, but their emotional work is a little bit different. Whereas men have to have that kind of the sato face that shows no emotion, uh, females usually have to have a smile on their face and be pleasant, or we put very pejorative labels on them that, that uh, probably are not PG-13 for, the, for, for our Bob, you're ourselves. so very un-PG-13 today. It's <laughs> all over you. <laughs> go ahead. Come on. Get no, your thoughts I, I together. Don't, I don't, I, I, I'm not sure where exactly to go with that. But, but again, um, that emotional work is much different. So the, the emotions that they have to show that they may not be feeling and to be pleasant and smiling all of the time. Um, whereas men are to show nothing or to show very little emotion. Uh, uh, that's their emotional work. And so we've got emotional work. We've got these kind of built-in cultural display rules that, that we show uh, you know what we're allowed to show, what we're not allowed to show. The younger we are as males, so we probably show more. Um, but eventually, we become enculturated into this, uh, into following the rules as everybody else plays them, and we come to show less and less and less. Do you think that still applies now? Because I, I know that this younger generation of men. Um, see their roles differently. I know, for instance, my own sons are much more helpful in the house uh, to their wives. They do a lot more. They they find it very acceptable. They don't even think about it where, you know, men in my husband's generation would have said, no, no, no. It's kind of the old, that's woman's work. You know, I wouldn't do that. Well, I would still still say that while the the um, splitting of those household responsibilities have changed quite a bit, um, 
what we find is is that usually with the birth of the first child, uh, we see much more traditional kinds of lines start to get drawn. And even though the the division of labor has split, uh, women are still chiefly responsible for about 60% of the housework and uh, the, the things at home and taking care of those things. And no matter how egalitarian, um, how egalitarian the couple starts off as, they tend to move in that direction after the birth of that first child. Interesting. So with all these differences in style and expression, how the heck do you figure out what someone is really trying to tell you? I, I, I think it... it, it it pays particularly in the people that we're closest to uh, that we take the risk to be able to verbalize more about how we feel. And for some of us as men, uh, that's a very difficult thing to do. Um, some men may have an easier time with it than others. Uh, some men are much more emotionally aware, so they can bring those things to the surface a little easier. And we seem to be more willing to take those risks with uh, relationships that have greater amounts of intimacy. And so the closer we are to someone, the more that we're going to talk about those kinds of things. Is there anything that women could do to make a man feel, let's say, safer and and make them feel more comfortable and being more open? I think sometimes um, that, that may be able to involve things like um, offering some sense of how the other person may be feeling that they can either go with or that they can refute. Uh, sometimes we lack the vocabulary to talk about those feelings. And so, uh, for example, to suggest that, um, to suggest that somebody might be having um, some difficulty uh, or that they're having some uh, loss for words or that they're not able to be, they're not, they're not able to find what the right way is to say something, to be encouraging, to let them know that they're doing okay in what they're communicating, uh, and to give them a sense that you're understanding what, what they're trying to say. Sometimes we miss each other in that process because what comes across, uh, uh, we're so used to displaying anger, just as an example, everything comes across in that way, and you miss the subtleties of this. Is, this feeling is really something different than anger. Uh, this feeling may what's what's the feeling that came before the anger? Just as an example, is a really good question that could be asked. Oh, that is a good question. I think the other tips maybe are to do a lot of nodding and uh huh, uh huh, uh huh. I think men. I, I think from my perspective, we're sometimes frightened that they're afraid if they say what they really want to say, that the reaction they're going to get is a kind of, what? All right? Are you serious? You know? We, 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 we pride ourselves, I think, sometimes as men um, on being strong. And um, I think sharing feelings, particularly those that may uh, give the feel that we have more vulnerability, is it going to be a little bit more of a challenge for us. And yet, uh, when you think about it, uh, it is that sharing that is actually part of uh, what we need to do with the stress reaction. There's been some new stress uh, research out there uh, that says that we may actually have some things all wrong, uh, that stress may not be this uh, fight-flight kind of mechanism as we've talked about before, um, but it's actually more tend and befriend and that the oxytocin that's released into the system uh, when we begin to get stressed, the, the cuddle hormone, as it were, 
promotes us to affiliate. And uh, the tend and befriend model has been a model that's been proposed uh, largely out of the feminist psychology side of things right now. But what I'm thinking is what we're going to see is it's going to probably see, we're going to show that both men and women experience uh, the tend and befriend, although we may do it differently across gender lines when we are stressed and how we seek that affiliation with other people and seek to talk to others when we're stressed. Interesting. So what do you think are the primary differences in communication styles between men and women? Uh, I, I think sometimes, um, hmm, in, in, on the marital side, and I guess I would, uh, I would start there, I think sometimes uh, if we were to oversimplify it, we could talk about three basic kinds of communication. We could talk about seeking problem solving. We could talk about looking for emotional support. And we could talk about uh, just wanting to vent and purge. And oftentimes when um, men, when they're approached by their wives and they're asked to do emotional support, they go into problem solving. Mm-hmm. And they miss the boat because that's not what their spouse is looking for. Sometimes after, uh, you know, particularly for moms that tend to be more stay-at-home, uh, you know, they want that adult conversation or they want to purge. They just want to vent. And what do men do? Uh, they want to problem solve. And they want to offer this problem solving. And so, again, we get this crossing. And so... It's kind of an interesting thing because when you are trying to communicate with someone else and they're looking for emotional support and you're, you're doing the best that you think that you can in this problem solving, and then they get kind of, they're, they're not getting what they want and so they press and then you're giving it back and can't figure out why they're unhappy with you. I'm, I'm fixing the problem. What more do you want from me? Um, because I don't think we, I, I think sometimes men, we get caught up in, in looking at emotions as being problems to solve rather than things that require support. You're listening to Caught Between Generations. When we return, we're going to ask Dr. Bob about some more of these differences between how men and women communicate. It's important to talk about, especially when we're talking about making decisions about caregiving. We'll be right back. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. At Sarah Care, we provide daytime activities and health related care for seniors who need assistance and support during the day. It is 101 activities and home by dinner. While we pride ourselves on the quality of our care, the Sarah Care Way sees beyond your loved one's needs to understand them as a unique individual. We care for individuals with chronic diseases, memory loss, stroke, Parkinson's disease, or those who may be feeling depressed and isolated. Our program is designed to encourage seniors to remain involved in activities of their choice, customized to meet their interests and abilities. Our outings include lunch at favorite restaurants and trips to the movies, concerts, or shopping at a cost that is less than five hours of in-home care. Your family member can attend one of our centers all day and be cared for by professional nurses and activity assistants. Transportation and financial assistance is available. Call 1-800-472-5544 today to learn how Sarah Care can help or visit us on the web at sarahcare.com. That's S-A-R-A-H-Care.com. 
Every day, you hear so much about different aspects of the health and wellness field. One day, you hear one thing, and the next day, you hear something that contradicts what you heard the day before. How do you know what's right? Try tuning in to The Cutting Edge of Health and Wellness today with Dr. Neil Nathan. Our goal is to educate and explore this field with guest experts in order to help you take control of your health and well-being. Listen Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Health & Wellness. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Listening to Caught Between Generations. To reach our program today, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Dr. Merrill at CaughtBetweenGenerations.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Caught Between Generations. And we've been discussing communications between men and women and how different communication styles can either help us or hurt us or hinder us in our caregiving responsibilities. So before the break, uh, I'm here with Dr. Robert Humphreys, who's a licensed psychologist, and we were discussing venting. Um, and men problem solving. So actually, women venting and men problem solving is one of my favorite topics, all right? <laughs> <laughs> so I want to pass on this, this tip, this communication tip. So when I do workshops and I talk about this, he, here's the example um, I usually give, and it, it has it's work-related, where you, as a woman, you had this terrible day, you had all these problems at work, and you come home, and you start telling your husband, ah, oh, I was so upset, I was so angry, blah, 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 whatever happened, and your husband starts giving you solutions, because that's the mode that men get into. They think that because you're telling them something, you want a solution. Now, what happens is, as a woman, you get ticked off, all right, and you're like, What? All right. Do you think I'm an idiot and I don't know how to handle these problems? And these poor men are there like a deer in headlights going, oh, oh my gosh, I was only trying to help. Well, that's not what you wanted. Okay. You wanted that, just that emotional support. So what I find it's helpful is to, is to put a disclaimer on your conversation for a while. And, you know, and so when I first started to do this with my own husband, I made it like very dramatic. I would say to him, the venting is about to begin. (laughs) (laughs) And he would know, like in his brain, he could be like sailing in the Bahamas, all right? But but he was just kind of listening to me. And then it gets to the point where you don't really need to do that. And you can just either use a nonverbal, put up your hand, or you just say at the beginning of your conversation, I had a really bad day, I need to vent. And then they know what you're doing, and you don't get into that conflict. we, We need to be clued in sometimes to those things. I, th- I think the engineering sides of our brains as men, I think, just automatically goes to problem solving. We're going to fix things, and we want to do that, and sometimes we're not able to. On the other side of that, and I will tell you this from, from the male perspective, sometimes I will go into the, you're venting, I'm in my listening mode, I'm just going to be the sounding board, and so I get very quiet. Mm-hmm. If I hear, are you listening to me? <laughs> Are you still there? (laughs) Do you have a pulse? (laughs) Normally then, I was probably not supposed to be the subject of venting. I was supposed to probably be giving emotional support at that point. Because now, I've invited 
uh, the people that I'm discussing things with to be angry because they're looking for support as opposed to just being a sounding board. So, Bob, let's play this through. What would be examples of statements that would be emotionally supportive? Sometimes emotionally supportive statements can just be identifying with the feeling. I could see why that would make it such a tough day for you. I'm understanding that uh, when people talk to you that way, that, that gets very difficult for you to manage. Right, or that would make me, that would have upset me also. I can certainly understand why you would be upset. I think I would feel very much the same way. Okay, so here's communication tip number two that I had not intended to give, but it made me think about it. So men are very concrete, okay? Oh, yes. Okay, so they sometimes we get into these conflicts with men because we say to them, we have... Ten people coming over for dinner. This will connect. We have ten people coming over for dinner. I need you to help me. All right? And the next thing you know, they're cleaning out the garage. And you're like, what? Okay. (laughs) And they're like, well, the people are coming over. And I thought the guys might end up going into the garage, to the other refrigerator for beer, whatever. So I thought I should straighten it up. And you're like, no, that's not what I needed you to do. So you need to be very concrete. Okay. The reason this ties back in and the reason I asked Dr. Bob about statements of emotional support is sometimes you actually have to tell that to the men that you're dealing with. You have to say when you're calm, okay, you know, in that conversation we had the other day, it would have been helpful if you, if I had felt supported. So if you had said, you know, gee, that would have made me angry too. Or, wow, that I, I can see how that would really upset you. If you, in effect, give them scripts, all right, it's very helpful. And actually, they're very appreciative, all right, to right. get the script. <laughs> it's when I'm sitting down with a couple and I'm doing marital therapy, I will sometimes seize upon a moment where there's great tension. What is it that you can do in this moment to be support, to, to demonstrate support for your wife? And oftentimes, uh, the, the male will, will uh, share, you know, I, I probably should have just reached out and put my hand on hers. And then we'll say, but I was afraid. She seemed so upset. I didn't want to make things any worse. Hmm. And so there's this part about there's risk that comes. Oh, that's and, good. And, you know, we want to be able to sometimes as men predict the outcome. So is it safe for me to reach out and, and take her hand when she's talking about this? Is it not safe for me to do that? What, what am I going to ha- encounter next if I, if I reach out in this way? Surprisingly, many of, the, many of the men that I work with in those situations, when we're seeing each other as couples, will know exactly what to do, but they're sometimes a little bit more immobilized as to what to do because they don't want to make it worse when they hear that they're already upset and that their spouse is already uh, angry and and hurt by something that either they've said or done. So do you suggest that they take the risk? Well... I guess it depends on how physically aggressive... Well, it also depends on how well I... You know, obviously, sometimes you know the couples very well so that you would say, I think this is a person safe to take this risk with. Or if there's a question about whether or not to take the risk, let's let's 
and I turn to the wife and I say, would it have been okay with you if he had taken your hand when you were feeling this, this pain that you were talking about? Would it have been okay for, for him to have done that? Sometimes we'll have a spouse that will say, no, I, would have, I don't want to be, I didn't, no, that would not have been helpful. So what would have been helpful? He's looking for something. He wants to be able to help you. What would have been helpful in that moment? And others would just have been glad just to have that, that, that contact, that physical contact, that touch to say, I'm with you. I'm understanding what's going on. I want to be able to help you to, to, to deal with this effectively. So I think that's a good point, Bob, and I think it works for both men and women, that if there's something you need at that point of stress or crisis, that may not be the time to have this conversation. But at another time when you're calmer, to be able mm-hmm. to share with each other what would help, would, would help you or would have helped you during that time might be very productive both ways. I, I think sometimes, as problem solvers, men sometimes think that, they, that they're not allowed to say, I don't know what to do here. You know, they, they want to be able to have the answer. They want to be able to have the solution. They want to make sure that they're going to be supportive. And sometimes we don't know what to do. What's going to be best for you right now? What do you need? That's a fair, valid question to ask, I think. Okay, so let's talk about, let's begin our discussion about communicating about children and adolescents, all right? Ah, see, it's like an old joke, all right? (laughs) (laughs) You're sighing. That actually is an old joke there. Uh, Okay, I'll quickly tell. There are three women sitting around. No one is saying a word. And suddenly one of the women says, "Ah," and the other woman says, ah. I thought we agreed not to discuss the children. <laughs> That's what that reminded me of when you did that. Okay. So let's talk about communication between parents uh, when it comes to children. Because obviously, fathers often have a much different attitude than mothers do about, mm-hmm. about raising children. Um, again, there's going to be some differences in terms of who... Do the children turn to for nurturance? Mm. Um, if the mom happens to be the more nurturing of the two parents, I, sometimes I think that can make a difference in terms of how that affects the communication. We also have uh, dads who tend to be very no-nonsense, and they may be seen more as the disciplinarian. And um, sometimes in, in being more the disciplinarian, children may not be communicating with them to the same way that they would be the person who provides the emotional support. And so you have to deal with a, a gamut of, of differences in the communication uh, between the kids and the parents. You've been listening to Caught Between Generations and This is Dr. Merle talking to Dr. Robert Humphreys. We've been talking about the differences in communication between men and women and how it impacts caregiving. And now we've begun talking about the differences in communication and how it impacts children and adults. When we return, we're going to talk more about how this communication goes between parent to parent. And then we're going to talk about parent to grandparent, parent to grandparent who lives in town and parent to grandparent who lives out of town. And then we're going to talk about friends. Do they help you? or do they hurt you in the caregiving process? Stay with us. We'll be right back.
Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Where's your mom? What's she doing? You'd know if she was at Sarah Care Daytime Senior Care and Activities. You'd know she's enjoying a full day of activities program just for her interests, like art classes, volunteering, pet care, and card club. And she's home by dinner. And what's different is that Sarah Care actually has nursing care right there with her. So you'd know. Try one free day of care at Sarah Care. Call 330-451-6108. How's your mom? She's just fine at Sarah Care Daytime Senior Care and Activities. Tune in every Tuesday for C. diff, spores, and more with hosts Nancy Kerala and Dr. Chandra Bali Ghosh. Our program is to provide information about C. diff, healthcare-associated infections, and more. Nancy is a C. diff survivor, healthcare professional, and the founder and executive director of the C. diff Foundation. And Dr. Ghosh is the chairperson of research and development for the C. diff Foundation. Together with their guests, we'll explore infection prevention, treatments, environmental safety, and more. Listen every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific, on Voice America Health & Wellness. Much of the time, the illnesses that people feel are simply symptoms, and they mask the root cause of what the real health problem is. You can take back control of your own health, starting with Billionaire Healthcare. This program is hosted by Ashley Black. Our program will introduce you to fascia, which is the knowledge of the living matrix. This bit of knowledge can bring you the health secrets that only the rich and famous have known until now. Listen Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health & Wellness. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. To Caught Between Generations. To reach our program today, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Dr. Merrill at CaughtBetweenGenerations.com. Now, back to the show. This is Dr. Merrill. We've been discussing the differences between men and women in their communications, especially about caregiving. So, Dr. Bob, before we took the break, we were talking about communication between parents, uh, especially as it, as it deals with caregiving with children and adolescents. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that occurs to me with caregiving is, is that we want to have private time away from the kids disagree. If we disagree with the way one parent is handling something or we have some suggestions or we'd like to handle it in a different way or um, because we do not want to give the message to the kids that they can play one of us off the other. And it becomes very important. I think uh, sometimes we see something and it takes on this urgency. We feel like we have to communicate it with it right away about some objection that we have or this isn't what we talked about or this isn't the value that we said we wanted to impart. And sometimes we're going to make mistakes and we're going to blow it. But we're going to do, we want to be able to discuss that with the other parent partner privately, away from the kids. We don't want to... Um, give the kids the opportunity to, to come back later on and play one parent against the other. They're going to tend to do that anyway sometimes because they may perceive one parent to be easier than the other. But we don't want to set that up and involve them in the adult, any of the adult uh, conversation with respect to how things are going on. 
know, it's interesting you say that because actually I had a situation recently with my granddaughter, all right, um, who was upset with me about something. It had nothing to do with her parents. It had to do with another adult in her life. And um, I said to my granddaughter, um, how do you know about this situation? And she said, she mentioned this person's name, and she said, well, she was actually talking about it to another adult in front of me, and, and I heard it, and, I, and she was telling this other adult how you upset her. And I said to my granddaughter, you know, Lily, I understand that, but this is a conversation that belongs between grown-ups, between the adults. This is not a conversation you need to be involved in. And she was like, oh, Thank you. And she left. (laughs) Sometimes kids think they need to be involved in the grown-up issues. And unfortunately, I think there are things that we need to keep separate from the kids. We don't want them to worry unnecessarily. For example, um, you may have, as many families face, financial issues. Now, we want the kids to learn about financial responsibility and not to spend more than they have and and all of those kind of things. But we don't want these kids to go to school and be anxious about my family is going to be destitute and on the street. And so, because they're in their little minds and they're only getting what's in their head, they may tend to worry about those things. And so we don't want to create a worry atmosphere. But at the same time, we may want to impart financial values to them all at the same time. And so that's that balancing between those things, which is why it's good to have two people in the home communicating about how they want to convey things to the kids. Let's talk about grandparents. So (laughs) let's talk about grandparents who live in town. Grandparents who live in town uh, have and enjoy, I think, a special access to the kids. And uh, so they have a different kind of relationship, perhaps, than the grandparents who are away. Uh, They may spend more time with the grandchildren. Uh, In some instances, uh, particularly with the busy lives that we lead today, we have grandparents who are providing care to the grandchildren. Um, And so, again, how do we communicate Effectively, um, I just uh, was working with a, a young couple the other day, and uh, she was having difficulty communicating with her mother-in-law about something that she was doing in handling their newborn baby. And she, it was just bothering her, and she didn't know how to talk to her about it. And um, I think part of becoming an adult and moving into that role is to be able to confront a situation and to be able to be assertive with somebody and to say, we would prefer not to do that. Or, you know, I've done some reading about this and I'd rather not uh, move in that direction in terms of what we're dealing with, uh, doing with uh, our daughter. And um, it was very uplifting because I think it all turned out pretty well. Um, sometimes those confrontations don't go well but sometimes they can go very well. And so we want to communicate as adults to adults about how they may be providing care for the kids. Grandparents sometimes want to, especially the ones in town, they want to spoil the kids right and then send them home. There's nothing wrong with that. I tell my grandchildren, you're on vacation when you're with me. <laughs> exactly. They don't see me frequently, so <laughs> it's okay. Yeah. 
Yeah, but you know, there's nothing wrong with wanting to be the the, the grandparent who could be the fun grandparent or can do fun things. Um, but you also, again, want to try to be in line with uh, with other kinds of things that the fa- that the parents may have decided that they want to do. Uh, and some parts of parenting are, are going to be following the traditions that have already been set down. And some part of parenting is going to be moving away from some of the things that they may have grown up with. And, and, and that gets a little complicated unless you're communicating well. I think you're right. I mean, I think having worked with many grandparents, I mean, um, part of the issue is when the adult children are moving away and doing things differently, all right, that very often grandparents will take that as a criticism. I used to have that problem when I was doing therapy with kids where a parent would say to their own parent, to the grandparent, well, you know, Dr. Merle says we're not going to do it that way anymore. We're going to do it this way instead of that way. And then I would have a grandparent who was upset and hurt and then often expressing that in anger um, because they would take that as a personal criticism of their own parenting. So I think it helps for parents to be sensitive to the fact that when they want to make changes, which is fine, that part of a grandparent's reaction is that they take it as a personal criticism. I I think um, I have a story from very early on in my career um, about the impact that sometimes we can have. Uh, I was doing a group and had a grandmother who had been saddled. Um, her, Her son... Uh, was uh, very alcoholic, and so she was saddled with the care of these teenagers. And she was complaining in the group about how um, these kids were very just foul-mouthed, and they were talking terribly to each other at the dinner table. And I made a quip, as I sometimes would do in group, and I said, well, if they're talking like there's trash coming out of their mouth, just serve them trash for dinner. And so everybody laughed, and then we went on and really tried to do some other problem-solving with her. Well, the next week, she came back, and she said, I followed your advice. <laughs> no. To which I was like, oh, oh, good Lord, what advice? <laughs> and apparently, she picked up a handful of trash out of the trash and put it on their plate when they started talking like that and, and announced to them, if you're going to talk like there's trash coming out of your mouth, this is what you can eat for dinner. She needless to say she never had that problem with them. <laughs> and the problem was solved. But it scared me a little bit to think that I was really making a joke. <laughs> and it turned into actually a pretty good intervention. But I would not want to. I, I, it was not my intention that she's swinging trash for dinner. <laughs> We're going to report you. Don't worry about it. <laughs> a problem. So let's talk about grandparents who do live out of town because that is a different situation. I think I think it depends on the grandparents and, and what uh, they availed themselves of in terms of the vast kinds of communication systems that we have. Um, we have seen an increase, particularly for those uh, folks over the age of 65 uh, with uh, Facebook and some of the kids are communicating, some of their grandchildren are communicating with them via Facebook. Uh, we see Instagram. Uh, Skype has uh, also become very popular with some, with some of the grandkids. And so when you're out of town, there are ways to stay more connected to the grandchildren uh, in ways that we would not never have thought of before. And it's a little bit different than just the phone and talking on the phone. Because the kids don't like to talk either, they would prefer to text 
And so texting or getting a text from your grandmother or grandfather that's out of town is not unheard of these days. There's, um, we're going to be doing a show coming up, a future show on technology. Um, and that's one of the things we're going to talk about is all the new software programs and apps that you can use to stay connected with your grandchildren, including reading with your grandchildren, playing games with them, and that you're both playing games. In fact, one of the reading apps even has a little finger that turns the page oh and points goodness. to things. So there's, that's one of the show coming up. Wonderful. I understand some grandparents enjoy Candy Crush, but I don't want to endorse that product by any means. But The other thing that, um, and we may need to talk about this more after the break, is uh, grandparents who may live in another country. Um, I recently did a workshop for Kaiser Permanente, and that was one of the requests. Um, and so I spent some time talking to some parents who, whose parents, own parents, live in India or China or a variety of other countries. And so when they come, they come for a month. And one of the things I found from talking to those parents that we finally came to as a solution that would be helpful is to prepare their own parents ahead of time, to give them a vivid description of their daily life so that those grandparents coming over would understand that you are going to go to exercise. You know, as the caregiver, that's not going to stop. As the parent, that's really important for you. That you do prepare a lot of food on Sunday and put it in the freezer. So even though you may not see it as fresh food, it is fresh food. Um, And basically kind of what the uh, routines are for the child so that the grandparent knows what to expect when they come into your home. I would, I would imagine that a grandparent coming into the country for a month could be very disruptive to a household routine. And when we're providing caregiving to, to children in particular, having a routine is very, very important. And so when those routines get disrupted, we get behavior that may not be very welcoming to grandma and grandpa. You're absolutely right. This is Dr. Merle with Dr. Robert Humphreys. When we come back, we're now going to be discussing communications between men and women when it comes to taking care of seniors. We'll be right back. Your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. At Sarah Care, we provide daytime activities and health related care for seniors who need assistance and support during the day. It is 101 activities and home by dinner. While we pride ourselves on the quality of our care, the Sarah Care Way sees beyond your loved one's needs to understand them as a unique individual. We care for individuals with chronic diseases, memory loss, stroke, Parkinson's disease, or those who may be feeling depressed and isolated. Our program is designed to encourage seniors to remain involved in activities of their choice, customized to meet their interests and abilities. Our outings include lunch at favorite restaurants and trips to the movies, concerts, or shopping at a cost that is less than five hours of in-home care. Your family member can attend one of our centers all day and be cared for by professional nurses and activity assistants. Transportation and financial assistance is available. Call 1-800-472-5544 today to learn how Sarah Care can help or visit us on the web at sarahcare.com. That's S-A-R-A-H-Care.com. 
Do you know about Reiki? This method of healing can complement Western medicine as well as other alternative practices. Besides healing, it can have the additional effect of making you feel more positive about yourself and the world around you. By tuning into For the Love of Reiki with host Paula Vale, you'll find how Reiki can improve your health, bring balance into your life, and fill you with joy. For the Love of Reiki is broadcast live every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Listening to Caught Between Generations. To reach our program today, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Dr. Merrill at CaughtBetweenGenerations.com. Now, back to the show. This is Dr. Merrill and Dr. Bob, and we've been talking about the differences in communications between men and women. We've talked about a lot of tips, um, so I hope that this will help you integrate this into your life. They're just quick, easy things that you can do that I hope will make a difference for you. Now we're going to talk about caregiving for seniors, and so let's, Bob, talk about the differences between men and women and that communication about taking care of parents oftentimes it depends on which parent we're having perhaps in the home that we're providing care for um, if it's uh, the, the man's mom uh, there may be expectations that he is not communicating very effectively and so um, it becomes very incumbent upon the couple to increase that level of communication so that those expectations are going to be able to be met and or exceeded um, sometimes expectations are very hidden, and those hidden expectations can create conflict in communication and creates a stressful circumstance where, um, you know, one party is thinking they're doing all the right things to provide care, and they're providing care the way that they would for their own parent. Um, but these hidden expectations sometimes surface, and they haven't been communicated well. And they can be somewhat damaging to the couple. And particularly if we're going to avoid some caregiver burnout, uh, we, we, it becomes incumbent upon us to be able to communicate at a level with our spouse so that those expectations are, are known. So I was recently speaking to a friend of mine who, um, whose husband is now going to bring his mother home from a nursing home, and there's been a lot of discussion. Should she come? Should she not come? Um, and one of the things I advised her to do was to sit down and really discuss what the expectations are, as you're talking about, ahead of time, but also who was going to do what. Because my concern always is when a parent comes into the home to live, and I took care of my own mother in my own home for two years, um, that you have to make sure that everyone knows what the rules are and who's going to be doing what. Because I think even if it's the man's mother that's coming into the home, the expectation suddenly is the woman is going to be taking care of everything. And sometimes that expectation is, is faulty because if you have... Uh, you're providing care for an elderly parent, and you're still providing care for children. Uh, they talk about the baby boomer crunch. Uh, the demands and the expectations upon the moms may be 
inordinately too high. And there should be some division of labor that would be uh, more appropriate uh, between the adults in terms of who's going to do what. You know, I remember um, a little bit off the, uh, the beaten path here, but I remember when my brother, uh, they had twin daughters. He had a big whiteboard. And on the big whiteboard, they, were, they would have a list of when the babies were fed, who was fed and when, whose diaper was changed, who did what and what diaper. Okay, And I can imagine that sometimes the organization of providing uh, adult care could be very similar, that you'd want to make sure that, you know, who, 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 who fed mom or who made sure that mom got fed today or, you know, who did this and who did that and how do we know that mom is being cared for throughout the day. And sometimes even a big whiteboard could probably be another example of making sure that everything is being taken care of as it's supposed to be. Um, I think about medication checks. Um, medications in particular, um, particularly for somebody that's not with a medical background, but making sure that they're getting the medications on time and in a timely fashion. Um, understanding how things can go wrong with medications. Um, making sure that if it's a medication that requires food, that they are in fact eating before they get this medication. Or if it's something that's supposed to be taken on an empty stomach, that they're getting it on the empty stomach. I think those kinds of complexities in terms of the caregiving um, sets a higher level of expectation uh, on on the parts of of the adults in that household in terms of providing the care. I think there's also, though, the emotional aspect. I mean, I I see this a lot in our Sarah Care Centers, um, and that is the... The, the adult child whose parent is being taken care of is going through a lot of emotional distress. I mean, it's very, very difficult. Uh, uh, I can remember when my, I brought my mother to live with us after her stroke, and the first morning um, she went on a van, my own Seracare van, to go to my own Seracare center. My office was on the floor above it. Um, after she left, I just became hysterical. And I was crying, and I was just hysterical. My husband was like, what's wrong? You know, she's going to your center where your office is with your staff. She's going to be very well taken care of. And I said, you know what, Frank, at that moment when she went onto that van, I realized that my mother, as I knew her, was never going to be the same again. And and until that moment, it really hadn't become, it it just wasn't real to me. And I think... The moments of, of it becoming real are going to vary from person to person. We don't know exactly when that might strike us. And it may be the first time that, that, um, that they're asking for help, which is a complete role reversal. I mean, usually our parents are the ones that were taking care of us. And for us to go into the caretaking role may have that kind of awakening and saying, this is, this is a change. This is a significant change. Um, and again, we have our own expectations about what we're expecting and, and what this is going to, what this experience is going to be like. I think it brings us back, though, to the earlier conversation of what you were saying at the beginning, with how men express emotion, because I think men feel the same thing. It's a mother or a father; things are changing. It's difficult for them. Uh, there may be conflict going on with siblings in the family, and. 
And I think men aren't always very good at expressing that. And and listening to you before, you're right, it may turn out to be expressed in their being more angry or more grumpy well, than I, usual. I think, I think sometimes when it, when it comes to providing care to a senior adult uh, and our parent, on the outside, they look exactly the same. When they're talking to you, they sound exactly the same. But then there's been these losses that may come from a stroke or may come from some uh, dementia that may be beginning to, to occur. And the, the reaction to that person is to be angry because it's as if they're not the same person anymore. And the, that expectation uh, really does trigger some anger, not only for men, but also for moms that are providing caretaking, uh, our females that are providing caretaking for their parents. So let's just talk just just for a minute or two about communication with siblings because, you know, when there's a problem with one or both parents, you know, all of that baggage comes forward, all right? And now you're into caring for people plus having conflict with your own siblings. It, it, it's in the ideal circumstance – uh, the, the, the children that would be expected to be the caregivers go into that caregiving role and the, the ones that want to step away, step away. And they don't have that conflict. And other families where everybody wants to be a party to what's going to happen and, and, and how things are going to go, um, I think sometimes that level of communication can... Um, I've had, I had uh, three daughters come in with their senior mom um, and we did some transgenerational kinds of communication about how they needed to communicate with each other as to who was going to do what for mom and when and where and how this was all going to work. And it's a whole different level of problem solving. It's a whole different level of providing emotional support in a way that they didn't think, that they all thought were going to be somewhat easy and, and wasn't. Yeah, I often suggest to families that we sit together and we make a concrete list of everything that needs to be done um, because I think people don't always realize what needs to be done and then suddenly they're in crisis mode mm-hmm. um, and they're panicking and that's when everyone gets angry and, and everything just falls apart in the midst of the chaos. Well, and, and again, you know, what are the things that you need to set up? If I'm going to be paying mom or dad's bills, okay, do we have to have some kind of an agreement that, that I'm going to be the one to be the payee? Sometimes that can create an argument. Uh, the other siblings don't want them to have access to mom and dad's money. Yes, we have that um, a lot, actually, in terms of sometimes the power of attorney for health or finance is the child, adult child who's living out of town. Um, and the adult child living in town who has to do everything does not have the power of attorney. It always sets up an interesting situation. Yeah. That's why we need to start to talk about these things so often. Oh, I agree with you. This has been great. Uh, Dr. Robert Humphreys, why don't you give us your contact information? Yes, uh, I'm with Vista Psychological and Counseling Center, and we are at uh, 330-244-8782. And um, we're there in North Canton at 1201 South Main Street. That's great. Thank you so much. Any last thoughts or comments for us today? I always enjoy sitting down and talking with you. (laughs) The time went so quickly. It it really did. And uh, I'll be glad to lend a hand anytime you need. Just let me know. Thank you so much. 
So for my takeaway today, I want to share with you my feelings about how we often underestimate feelings of fear, unease, and regret in others, and you know what, even in ourselves. I think this is especially true with individuals, both men and women, who present with a lot of bravado. You know, they appear to be very strong and tough on the outside. We often miss their sadness. They often are extremely reluctant to express their regrets. I think the message of today's show is to look carefully beneath the obvious, for what you see on the surface is often not someone's true feelings. Often we do not understand why we're having a conflict, and often it is because we're responding to an incorrect perception and assumption about another slowdown. Take a moment, listen carefully, ask meaningful questions. Sometimes our feelings are on target, but sometimes they're not. It's an investment in the relationship and in your own personal well-being to take the time to determine someone's underlying feelings towards a particular issue. Remember to always ask and never assume. You've been listening to Caught Between Generations. I want to hear if you've, how you've taken care of yourself. So share it with me on Dr. Merrill at CaughtBetweenGenerations.com. Wishing you peace and some contentment. Thank you for tuning in to Caught Between Generations with Dr. Mel Griff. Our program is live every Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We hope to see you here next week.